Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Riding a bike is as easy as riding a bike. Most of us have given it a try, but bicycling is an increasing part of everyday life for Native people getting around town, getting exercise, or taking on off-road mountain biking terrain. Some tribes and Native groups recognize the importance of bicycling and encourage riding as transportation or fun and even create biking trails for safer riding. More bicycling in Native America after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Oglala Sioux Tribe is suing the U.S. Interior Department and its agencies for violating the nation's treaty obligation to fund law enforcement on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Party spent the day Wednesday in federal court in Rapid City, South Dakota, the first day of a two-day evidentiary hearing in front of federal judge Roberta Lang. Victoria Wicks has this report. Aldin Young is the current chief of the Oglala Sioux Tribal Police. He spent the afternoon on the stand telling of an overwhelming number of calls for assistance handled by 33 federally funded police officers and eight investigators. Chief Young told of the situation also outlined in the complaint filed with the court. These few officers patrol 5,400 square miles, holding 40,000 people living or conducting business on the reservation. A former chief of police, Ron Dubray, testified that at one time the Oglala Tribal Police had 113 officers funded through government grants and programs. But as those programs died out, so did the level of law enforcement. And then crime rates went up, involving drugs, guns, violence, and murder, even before the advent of heroin and fentanyl. After the first day's testimony, Oglala Sioux Tribal President Frank Starr comes out, spoke about the lawsuit. For decades and decades and decades, we've been ignored, put on a back burner. Today, we're taking that stand not only as a tribe, but as a nation, and speaking for an Indian country, that uh, we need to be heard. The lawsuit alleges that the United States has an obligation to provide protection and law enforcement under treaties, including the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. The tribe says in briefs that the treaties are still alive, having been reaffirmed by Congress, federal statutes, and legal precedent. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. The Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde's fight against opioid addiction has expanded to Portland. KLCC's Brian Bull reports on this week's grand opening of the Great Circle Recovery Center. A crowd gathered for drumming, remarks, and a ribbon cutting by tribal and Multnomah County officials. Tribal Chairwoman Cheryl Kennedy says Native American overdose deaths have increased by over 500% since 2000. We have to act now. It's affecting our younger people at a greater rate, but it has no boundaries. They can be elders as well. It's devastating. Kelly Rao, Health and Wellness Director for the tribe, says the clinic staff is trained for fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than morphine. It is stronger than any other illicit drug out there, and it is a quick addiction process for people. The Grand Ronde opened their first opioid clinic in Salem almost two years ago. They say they've treated 500 people since. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. 
8 News Now reports federal charges were filed Wednesday against former Dances with Wolves actor Nathan Chasing Horse for sexual exploitation and child pornography. Chasing Horse is accused of sexual assault against women and children spanning decades in multiple states and Canada. Prosecutors allege he claimed to be a medicine person to gain the trust of indigenous people, and he's accused of leading a cult. Chasing Horse was arrested last week in Las Vegas. Bell was also set on Wednesday for $300,000 by a state judge. He faces several charges in Nevada. Congresswoman Sharice Davids introduced a resolution Wednesday designating this week as National Tribal Colleges and Universities Week. It recognizes their contributions to the economic, educational, and social well-being of Indian country. There are 35 accredited tribal colleges and universities in the U.S. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Support by Stronghearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There are faster forms of transportation than riding a bicycle, but the two-wheeled, human-powered machine has a growing number of converts. The COVID pandemic brought new interest in biking for some people looking for healthy outdoor activities. Groups on several reservations are working to increase the number of Native riders, and bikes offer an affordable, effective way to get around urban areas. They also offer environmental benefits compared to driving to work or to the store. This hour, we'll find out how and why organizations are reaching out to Native riders, both on reservations and in cities. We'll talk about what draws avid Native cyclists to bikes, and we'll hear about ways to get into biking safely. We also want to hear from any bicyclists listening today. Are you a regular bike rider? Whether it's on city streets or mountain trails? Maybe you haven't been on a bike since childhood and are wondering how to get started riding again. Join our conversation today at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line in Flagstaff, Arizona, is Adrian Herder. He's the co-founder of Resduro, and he's Dene. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Adrian, Resduro, that's a catchy name for a biking event. Tell us how it started. Um, yeah, so Resduro is pretty much a combination of Navajo Reservation plus mountain bike enduro racing. So that term came to came about to create Resduro. Um, so yeah, Resduro is the first mountain bike indigenous-led uh, mountain bike enduro race that takes place on native lands and is organized by native people, the Net people in particular. Um, so yeah, it started back in 2021. Um, our visionary is my nephew, Nigel James, and he's the one that 
um, wanted to have a race in our backyard and he wanted it first it started out as like a as what he calls a bro race amongst his own friends um that eventually grew um other people started inviting other people and eventually became a bigger race and um yeah that happened in 2021 and that since then we've been um having our enduro race so we've had res zero 2022 last year and we're getting ready for res zero 2023 this year now, if I'm not mistaken, Resduro was the subject, along with your nephew, subjects in a documentary, and it's really grown a lot. I mean, there's some big sponsors that have stepped up. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the film, at the time when Nigel was starting, um, when he wanted to do this race at home, we also had the documentary come out, or that was taking place at that same time, which is The Trails Before Us, and that's directed by Fritz Bitsui. He's also a Dine filmmaker as well. Um, so that film pretty much kind of talked about, showcased the beginning of Resduro, and it talked about how we utilize the trails that we have in our backyards, our livestock and wildlife trails to create pretty much the trails that we use today for the event. Well, going back uh, to 2021 when this all started, I mean, what was the original inspiration? Was it to, to meet uh, a growing need for for more uh native bikers or, or were there already a lot of navajo folks out doing mountain biking and just looking for for a competitive event to test their skills yeah yeah so um that's a really good question so yeah nigel his vision behind it was that he wanted to i guess compete with his other local um mountain bike enduro friends here on navajo and that's kind of where um, he started this um, little competition and eventually it grew. And so the thing that we noticed with Resduro is that um, not only is it the first indigenous led, indigenous organized on indigenous land event, mountain bike event, um, one of the first ones, um, it's also um, a way for the mountain bike community on Navajo, the Navajo Nation and Hopi as well to come together for one time out of the year to kind of compete as well, which is pretty cool. And so um, our race is not, it's not just solely for indigenous people. It's also open to non-indigenous folks. And so, um, yeah, that's one thing we're really excited about is that we're creating a space for um, not only mountain biking on Navajo, but most importantly, the Diné people on Navajo for them to come to a place, a really remote community on the Navajo Nation and to show their skills of mountain bike enduro racing. And so that's kind of one thing that we're really proud of. And going back to the other, you mentioned sponsors, the Res Duro 2022, we had about 25 sponsors, over 25, and that was huge. And we had some pretty um, big names there as well, like Osprey, um, so Specialized as well, just to name a few. But um, yeah, it was, it was a really good turnout last year. And for Res Duro 2023, do you have a date set? We do, we do. So Res Zero 2023 is going to be taking place August 18th and 19th, um, 2023, um, this year. Okay, so that'll be a summer event. And Adrian, when I think of, of the Navajo Nation, you know, such a large, large uh, stretch of land, uh, a lot of mountains, a lot of arroyos, a lot of mesas, just a lot of terrain that I would think would be so, so well-suited for mountain biking, for, for a race like what you're describing. But is it as simple as just going out there uh, and forging your own trail, or does it require some heavy lifting, some people out there with you know some axes and different types of tools to actually make a, a trail or a track? 
Yes. So I'm going to answer that in two ways. So one, yes, it does require a lot of um, a lot of power to create trails um, because then you're trying to figure out which way. Well, depending on what how you want to ride. For us, we're we're in enduro racing, and so it's more downhill. So you've got a lot of technical trails, and so for this race, it's more of how do you create these trails to be technical where you're you're coming off drops, coming off rocks and ledges and things like that. And so it's a little bit more tactical or technical than your standard just going out for a mountain bike ride. Um, now the other thing is, um, as much it would as much as it would be nice to just kind of go out and create your own trails, there's a flip side to that. So a lot of us, um, there are a lot of land ownership within these communities, within these places, and so that's where um, it's pretty much up to, I guess, the people that own the land that see that utilize the land base. Now, for our family, we are um, fortunate enough to have a large land base, so we're able to utilize our land base to make the, this mountain bike and through a racing. So it really comes down to um, the families that utilize the land base, that own the land base, and um, getting in contact with the community, your local chapter, to figure out what are where are areas that are potentially um, available to create trails. And so it's just yeah. So I would I would say just also it's also consulting with the local community members that utilize the, that land base. Let's go to the phones. We've already got a caller, uh, Jen, listening online in East Texas. Jen, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. I should say OCO to. Adrian, and uh, just to let him know how very proud I am of him being such a big brother to Nigel and what courage it takes. Those are some pretty rugged trails, and they're, it's like a, it's, it's as rugged as motocross racing, I think. But just wanted to say hi, and, and you're doing a great job. All righty, Jen, thank you for that shout-out. Adrian, would you like to respond to Jen? I, I believe she, you know each other, perhaps. Yes, we do. Thank you, Jen. She's actually been out to our area before, so I want to thank Jen, Jen for recognizing the work that we're doing and also, um, I guess, uplifting our Indigenous youth in mountain biking. So, yeah, Jen. All righty. Well, Adrian, one thing I want to ask you as well, because I know that, um, you know, a, a good bike, especially a good mountain bike, is not cheap. And I'm wondering that... Uh, is it ever cost prohibitive for some folks to, to get involved in, you know, a race like Resduro or just competitive mountain biking? And if so, are, are there ways that, that folks can curtail some of those costs and, and still get out there and compete and ride? Yeah, yeah. So the, it, for this in particular type of racing, it does take a lot of wear and tear on your bike. And unfortunately, for most bikes, the more expensive it is, a little bit, you're, it's, it's going to hold up a little longer. And so um, the good thing, uh, I guess you could say, is that there are actually programs here on Navajo. So Res Zero, we're not the only mountain biking event or venue here on Navajo. There are other programs and other events that are happening here on Navajo and Hopi. Um, and so one example, we have the Cihasin, or sorry, um, the Silver Stallion Bike Program. So that's run by Scott Knightum out of Gallup, New Mexico. Um, and they also offer programming for youth to get more young ones on bikes. And for them, uh, a large, large part of the service population is Navajo because they're right next to the reservation. And so um, that's a, that, in a way, is to kind of slowly build up our young ones if they want to pursue mountain bike and enduro racing, kind of like Nigel. Um, it's building up in programs like that, like the NEC Comp, Hopi Comp, or Sihasin Bike Program, Sihasin Comp. 
and slowly building that up. And then <coughs> excuse me, there are programs out there as well within those groups that also help to, I guess, provide bikes to these young ones. And um, one, one really awesome thing last year for Res Zero, we had, thankfully, we had a sponsor with Specialized. And for our top youth groms, um, boys and girls, our top um, finishers, they were both Navajo, and they were able to be given uh, a mountain bike through Specialized and Absolute Bikes out of here in Flagstaff. And so that was amazing. It was a really top-of-the-line Specialized bike solely for Enduro Racing. And they were able to win that Res Zero, and it was just such an awesome thing to see. But, yeah, it does um, require a little bit of more funds to really ensure that you've got a good bike to handle these trails. Um, but there definitely are programs and also opportunities out there to acquire these bikes. And also just, I mean, um, like, for example, the two youth at Res Zero, they were able to win two bikes, which is really awesome. Oh, that's just so, so inspiring. To hear you talk, Adrian, and the event is Res Duro. It is a mountain biking race on the Navajo Nation. It takes place in late August. Uh, last year they had 25 sponsors, and uh, I'm interested to know when we come back from break uh, how many riders they have and how many they'll be expecting uh, this coming year as well. But we do have to take a short break. Uh, anybody who is a biker or interested in biking or mountain biking, uh, road racing, or just a recreational bike rider, we sure would like to have more comments, more callers on our show today. Our number, 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. We're talking about bikes today. We'll be right back. The biggest televised sporting event of the year is this weekend. The NFL and organizers of the Super Bowl are making strides in including native voices and elements and aspects of the game. At the same time, they can expect protests for including a team that continues to use a native mascot and troubling fan behavior. We document the progress and the problems with the Super Bowl on the next Native America Calling. Yate, Think Teeth, Medicaid, and CHIP cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleanings, fluoride treatments, and fillings. For more information about children's dental health, contact your Indian health care provider, visit insuredkidsnow.gov, or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Akeha. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about bicycling today. If you have a bike, tell us where you go and how you use it. Is the bike your main mode of transportation, or is cycling a hobby or a form of exercise for you? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking with Adrian Herter, co-founder of the Resduro mountain biking event there on the Navajo Nation. And Adrian, the event dates back to 2021. I want to ask you, uh, do you think it's uh, helping to increase participation in, in the mountain biking sport there on the Navajo Nation? Yes, most definitely. It, it definitely does. Um, again, like I mentioned previously, um, we've had this in a way is an event that allows other mountain bikers on Navajo 
to become exposed to mountain bike enduro racing and also to compete themselves if they are enduro racers. And so, yeah, it's definitely a good opportunity for folks to come out um, to kind of meet one. And even if they don't want to race, it's just more of like a, a meet and greet just to kind of see the atmosphere, the vibe of mountain bike enduro racing here on Navajo. And so it's definitely a, a good place to be. Adrian, thanks again for joining us and sharing all this information about the Resduro event. Our next guest is speaking with us in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Vanessa Bowen. She's a product designer and a cyclist. She's Danae. Vanessa, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Hello. You bet. I want to ask you, have you been on a ride today yet? Um, Today is my rest day, but I did do a ride yesterday, which was like 37 miles. (laughs) Wow, 38 miles. Well, Vanessa, tell us, how long have you been a serious cyclist? That's a long ways to ride. Well, I would say I've been a lifelong cyclist. I remember when I got my bicycle on my fifth birthday from my parents, and I've always continued cycling throughout like high school, college, and got around in the city uh, by bicycle for most of my like 20s. And now, as I'm older, I'm racing competitively. Now tell us, when did you make that pivot from just being a recreational biker to a competitive racer? Yeah, so when the pandemic started in 2020, um, I didn't know what to do with the extra time. So I decided to just commit to cycling just as like, you know, going out and hang, hanging out with like my friends, like social distancing and everything. So I'd be um, biking with my good friend, Tim. So we were kind of in our little pod together. So it was just him and I and kind of began that journey. And then I decided to get a little bit more serious and get a coach. And how many races have you been in so far? Yeah, so I started working with my coach in September of 2021. So far in 2022, I've done the tour of the Gila, uh, the Santa Fe Century, and a few local time trials plus the USA Cycling Masters National Championship and the Tour de Acoma. Wow. So, <laughs> and how much, I know that some of these are different lengths or you have an option to, to how, how far you want to ride for each race or like how, how long are most of these races that you've been in? Yeah. So sometimes the time trials are about 22 miles. And of course, like a century is a hundred miles, but I would say I've averaged about like 50 miles for every race. 50 miles for every race. And tell us more about your coach. Yeah, so my coach is the amazing, brilliant, and inspirational Shana Paulus. Uh, she's from the Oneida tribe, and it's amazing to work with her. Um, I love the fact that it's like keeping, you know, we're indigenous women in the cycling world, and it's just great to, like, have that. Now, Shana, she comes from a, a very accomplished uh, cycling family. She does. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't even know about it because her cousin, Kyle, who's based in California, um, we are friends um, outside of, you know, the cycling world. So when he was saying, hey, you should actually uh, contact my cousin, Shana, I'm pretty sure she'd help you. Um, I was kind of blown away at first. I was like, oh, well, this is pretty awesome. I was like excited to work with her. Wow. It's 
I, you know, that Santa Fe Century, I remember that. That's been around a long time because I'll tell you what, I actually rode in the Santa Fe Century one time, like in the early 90s. I think I only made it like 25 miles or something like that, but I did do that. But tell us more about your training, Vanessa. I, I mean, you know, especially during the winter months, colder months, uh, rain. How do you deal with all the different conditions out there on the road? Yeah, so um, it's kind of cool working with Shana. We use like a app that basically she uploads a workout and I follow it. Um, but she helped me accomplish something called the Rafa Festive 500, which is doing like a 310 miles in eight days. So I did that and it was super accomplished. Like if the accomplishment was amazing and I entered my, like they asked people to submit kind of their um like anything to commemorate their, you know, doing the Festa 500. And so I sent it to Rafa and they gave me this amazing indoor smart trainer. So I've been using that to train during the winter months. And it's kind of cool because it's um, this avatar that you have and you're in this 3D space and everything. So you're like cruising on a bike. So you kind of have that feeling that you're outside a little bit, but that helps make the training easy and smooth. And Sometimes you just have to go outside, too, and just ride your bike. I, I prefer that method, but, you know, of course, we're in the winter months, so the smart trainer comes in handy. That's interesting, That like a simulation type of training exercise. And, and I know one concern, Vanessa, that, that some people have is, like, the danger, right, of being out there on the road and cars, and they might not be mindful of cyclists. And how do you uh, protect yourself out there, especially when you're going on these long distances and these you know, long stretches of road out there in the Southwest. Yeah, I take bike safety seriously. I find that being visible is essential. Also being very predictable in what you're doing. So following all road laws is vital. Um, you know, just not going on the sidewalk, staying on the road, staying in designated bike paths. Um, so any tip to anyone is like, look up your local city or state bicycle roadmaps and, They'll designate where, you know, they'll tell you where the designated bike paths are. So I highly recommend that. It might take a little bit of education, but that, that would be your greatest resource to remain safe on the road. And in terms of the overall health benefits, what have you experienced in your own life in terms of just the, the physical fitness and all the other positive uh, just um, effects of being on a bike so much and riding? Yeah, so I didn't know this, but I had ADHD and I had it forever. <laughs> and I was recently diagnosed, but I used to run like cross country and track when I was younger. And that form of exercise, like endurance exercise, really helped me with my ADHD. And I actually am the, an Outride ambassador. Outride, they have this uh, program called Writing for Focus, which they um, give grants to to schools or whoever applies for it that actually, you know, they focus in on the fact that ADHD is prominent in children and cycling is super important and can help. Um, so that knowing that I had ADHD recently and cycling has just really improved, like, you know, aside from getting like medication to help with the, with riding and being on my bike has really helped me to just, you know, really focus honestly and so i got a lot of things done and i'm like really proud and happy for that because i you know adhd is something that like 
if I knew earlier in my life that I had it, I feel like my life would have ended up completely different or not have had many challenges that I had faced. And now so, another... yeah, I feel much stronger. Yeah, like cycling is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what I also think is cool about cycling is is the mechanical elements and, and you know, working on your own bike, adjusting things and the brakes. And, and do you do all that yourself, your maintenance and any repairs on your bike? Yeah, so I actually had the privilege of um, getting a grant to attend the U of Q Institute in Broomfield, uh, Colorado, which is associated with the Quality Bike Parts, which is a distributor. And they offered the scholarship for anyone who was like BIPOC or, you know, in the queer community to apply. So I applied and I got my professional bike mechanic certification in, in July. And so that has been amazing to just have this newfound knowledge and just be more self-sufficient as a cyclist. And then also the ability to share the skill set and, you know, build bikes for kids. Folks, if you've got a question for Vanessa Bowen, again, she is a competitive cyclist in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The number to call 1-800-996-2848. If you've got a question for Adrian Herter, uh, co-founder of Resduro, that number also 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring our third guest into the conversation now. Joining us from Mission, South Dakota is Lawanda Stands and Looks Back. She's the tribal transportation planner for the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. She's Lakota from Rosebud, and she's half Choctaw. Lawanda, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, thank you for having me. Lawanda, let's talk more about what tribes can do to uh, not only support bikes, but also the people who ride them. What are some programs out there or initiatives? Well, I'm, I'm really happy for the first two speakers on the program you know, that they have. I mean, I wish I had something fun like that here for, for uh, the Rosebud area. But um, actually, on, on our reservation, bicycling, it's really like in its infancy stage. Um, we do have, you know, when it's nice out, we have a lot of older tribal members that are out there riding bikes. I don't know if, if it's, um, you know, something they do competitively or not, but I do see them out riding. And as the planner, that's what I'm always doing, watching the all modes of traffic. And then, of course, we have our tribal youth out there on their bicycles and um, kind of trying to squeeze in all of our folks that are on their um, on their skateboards because we have a lot of that here, too. So really here in our area, we don't have anything established for bicycling, which I, which I wish we did have a, a program. And actually, during the winter months, is, that's what I do is I plan. So I um, would love to see, um, like, a bicycle clinic during the summertime we are, have three large communities here, Parmalee, Rosebud, and Antelope, and they have boys, boys and girls clubs attached to them. So I always think that would be a great venue to get in there and get the kids, you know, start them young, get the kids going with, with uh, riding bicycles. And, um, and then, you know, I'm hoping that would, you know, carry on to the adults in our communities to ride bikes if they can. So um, listening to the other two um, um, guests, uh, we don't have bike trails here on our reservation. We have a lot of fire trails, but no established bike trails. So that would be nice to, to get something going like that for our tribal members to get out, you know, pique their interest, um, mm -hmm. you know, like do just for the health of it, get out there, get moving, you know, get healthy, get some vitamin D, that kind of stuff, recreational exercise. I mean, there's so many things biking, bicycling to, can do for you, so... Um, that's what I work on during the summer. Okay. It's not as fun as other two speakers, but that's, that's <laughs> what I do. 
Well, are there are there funding sources or other types of resources to support like like some of these projects that um, that you'd like to accomplish at some point, like the, the clinic you suggested? Yeah, I, well, I'd have to go out and look for them. There's grants that we can utilize for, you know, establishing a bicycle program, bicycle safety. Um, uh, I can't remember your other guest name, but she mentioned about being safe, you know, on the roads when you're bicycling. And so um, our tribe has not adopted uh, any kind of bicycling safety codes. Um, normally, any, it's, and it's any tribe, it's across Indian country, if they don't have established um, policies, directives, or laws, then you know that they'll oftentimes adopt a federal or a state uh, you know, laws and policies. And so our tribe has done that, um, but not for bicycling. And I'm guessing because it's just really, um, you know, so small numbers here of people that bicycle. So that's why, to me, I was thinking, well, that's important. Maybe we can get that going for the kids here and, you know, start out with the kind of like the rules of the road when you're bicycling, because that's a component of what I do is transportation safety. So my world is safety, safety, safety. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, I, I know you're uh, a committee member on a federal highway safety program, and um, do you pay close attention to, to crash data and things like that, especially for, for non-motor vehicles? Yep, I sit on the Tribal Transportation Safety Management System Steering Committee, and it's it's for all across Indian country. And what we do is we just kind of, we come together probably quarterly and talk about crash data. Um, what can we do to you know make our transportation safer for all modes of transportation? And so me currently my focus um, is on our pedestrian traffic and our non-motorized traffic, which is a lot of our bicyclers. We have skateboarders, and we also have folks in wheelchairs that are out. So um, I'm always pitching out and really to put out there tribalsafety.org. There's a lot of toolkits on there for safety that any tribe can go on or any, any, anybody can go on there and look um, at the different tools that are on there that can, that can aid you. There's a lot of resources on there um, to kind of show you and guide you how to establish programs or maybe you have a program and maybe tweak it, add to it. I mean, just a plethora of knowledge on there. Let's go to the phones. Listening on station KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico is Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello. Thank you for having me. You bet, Ian. It's great to have you on the air. I just wanted to say that uh, I'm, I'm a huge cycling fan. Um, I love riding around the Albuquerque community and uh, seeing the beautiful landscapes that New Mexico has to offer. And I'm just so excited that this conversation is happening uh, right now because Anything that gets more people on bicycles is a good thing in my book. Well, Ian, it's great to have you call in. Uh, appreciate that shout out there. Let's take another caller. We have David listening on station KNBA in Homer, Alaska. David, thank you for calling in to Native America yes, Calling. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We love bicycling. We bicycle to the grocery store. We even have winter races. And it would be really nice if uh, we could have bicycles as a tax credit, like cars sort of have it for the electric cars, whether you purchase a regular bike or one with uh, the um, battery on them. So that would be a really nice thing to maybe have, encourage people to be able to afford a, a bicycle. Sometimes they get pretty expensive, but if you had a tax credit, that would be great. That's an interesting, interesting idea there. Tax credit similar to electric vehicles. That's David calling in from Homer, Alaska with that suggestion. And let's go back now to Lawanda. And 
Luanda, it's interesting, you know, this conversation we're having today, we're talking uh, about recreational biking and competitive biking, but then there are some folks too that just, they ride every day as a necessity. They're using it to get to and from work. They're going shopping and things like that. And what do folks like that that are out there every day riding uh, out of necessity, what are some tips or some best practices so they can be safe out there on the road? Well, you know, um, actually, it, it would be great if folks, um, you know, go to, it's the state, South Dakota State, um, because our tribe hasn't adopted anything. And so there's a lot of tips on there. I mean, my gosh, you can Google all kinds of tips of where where to ride on your bike, which direction to ride while you're on your bike. And, you know, our our area, we have a lot of homeless tribal members. And so what I think is really cool is when it's nice out, the majority of them somewhere, somehow, have gotten bicycles. And so I will see them coming. I, I live outside of Mission, so I will see them riding their bikes. And so I kind of just think that's awesome that, you know, usually you see them walking, but mainly it's, it's our, our <laughs> folks like that that are on bicycles and using that as their mode of transportation to get to and from wherever they need to go. So most certainly be safe. Uh, we have two major highways that come through our reservation. Luanda, I'm sorry we have to take another break, but we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support by Amerind, the 100% tribally owned insurance partner working with tribal governments and enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian country. Info at Amerind.com. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Join our conversation today about bicycles and the people who ride them. We're at 1-800-996-2848. Is your tribe or urban community trying to make safer trails or road laws for bike riders? Call us, 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. We'll get your comments on the air. Our next guest is joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Layla Morita. She is the program coordinator for the Story Riders Cycling Program. Layla, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Layla, Story Riders sounds like a really unique program. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so we started up in 2017, and we are focused on getting more BIPOC youth on bicycles and in outdoor spaces. Um, and at the end of the pro- two-week program, they do receive a free bicycle. And uh, is it open to a specific age groups, or who's the main focus yeah. for your participants? So we focus on elementary school kids, so starting at around third or fourth grade, and then um, we just recently started um, talking to different high schools uh, this, for this year. And how long has the program been up and running? So since 2017, so about four years, five years, if my math is correct. And what was the motivation to uh, to get young folks involved in riding bikes and just being, you know, community, uh, being involved in the community like this? Um, so for me, my motivation was um, for cycling, it gave me a lot of confidence. And so I think giving that to youth to gain confidence in themselves and independence and a feeling of being able to move through different spaces um, themselves without the use of a car 
or relying on someone else is, I think, really important for youth development as well as just finding out who you are and all of that good stuff. Now, I was looking at the website, and, and one thing that I found really cool is there is a, a STEAM component, uh, science, excuse me, science, technology, engineering, art, and math that's incorporated into the whole uh, the model? Yes. Yeah, there is. So um, for the program, when we are riding out in the Boston area or in different parts of the city, um, we Recently, we've gotten different curanderas to take us on like an herbal walk through the bosque and point out different local plants that can be used for medicinal purposes. Um, we've had artists um, who do different art projects with us, and then we've had different poets come in and teach us how to write poetry using what we see around us and a bunch of different things like that, as well as going and interviewing different farmers and how they do their farming practices, um, all while on bicycles. And about how many young people are involved in the program? So for each program, we do um, around 10 kids per program. And then we have served around 350, 400 students since the uh, inception of StoryWriters. Let's go back to the phones. Listening in Window Rock, Arizona online is Rain. Hello, Rain. Hi, Sean. Hi, Rain. Great. So um, glad you called in. Yeah, I just have a comment about um, biking on the Navajo Nation, the potential for um, cycling as a way to commute on the Navajo Nation. And just like the previous guest said, um, biking is pretty important, I think, for people who don't have motor vehicles. <laughs> it's a, way, a great way to um, encourage independence in children and stuff like that. Um, and mountain biking is cool. I like that that's the approach people are taking. But we need more wide and well-guarded bike lanes um, so that people can use those to travel rather than rely on motor vehicles like most people on the rest have to. Um, not only are vehicles bad for the environment, they're expensive. A lot of people on the reservation are poor and can't afford maintenance, um, and they're pretty dangerous. Accidents happen all the time. Mm -hmm. And not only that, um, park-centric design is actually kind of ugly, <laughs> and I think we have the potential to change that, so we should really be investing in these changes. Thanks. You bet. You bet, Rain. Thanks for that, Colin. I want to go ahead and let Vanessa Bowen comment because she rides a lot uh, in urban areas, and she spends a lot of time training. And Vanessa, you know, talking again uh, about some of the risks, and I want to know what kind of interactions do you have with, with people in cars, other motorists driving by? Are they, for the most part, respectful, or do you ever have issues with, with drivers that just uh, are, are not polite and, and, and put you at risk, intentionally maybe? Yeah, so it really depends geographically where you are. Like, for instance, being in Colorado, everyone is very cycle conscious because that's kind of like the, the area cultivates more cyclists. However, here in Albuquerque, it can be a little iffy. A lot of people are in bigger trucks, and I, I don't know why, but they do feel threatened by the presence of a cyclist. Like, I guess it's just, you know, keeping them from getting to where they need to be. But I feel like if someone were to get on a bike and actually experience it, they would be so more empathetic. So I really strongly encourage everyone to at least 
you know, go down the road and just see how it feels. And I know that will make you a better driver and be more aware of cyclists and also motorcyclists too. Um, but yeah, it, it's a hit or miss depending on where you are. However, as I said before, you know, being very visible, being very intentional and very clear with what you'll be doing and signaling to drivers, it helps, you know, maintain that communication and they know what to expect from you. So that would be my, my advice. Well, um, making the road safer for bikers would just be having more people out there riding bikes or at least familiar with riding bikes as Vanessa comments. Let's go back to the phones now. We have a caller in Spooner, Wisconsin, David, listening on WOJB. Hello, David. Bonjour, je m'appelle David Lapointe. Hi, my name is David Lapointe. Good day. Thank you, Sean, for accepting my call. I was riding my adult tricycle, and it was a beautiful day. I was having a good time, and the trucks and the cars were very unhappy with me riding on the shoulder of the road. They honked, they swerved, and one guy drove through a crash of turkeys and the, with the little hand and the a little baby chick, and he blew right through them with his pickup truck. And flyers, feathers were flying everywhere. And I'm old, and it's hard for me to ride that adult tricycle, especially uphill. And, uh, I, you know, in other states, I rode my bicycle. Mm-hmm. There were, uh, Bicycle lanes. Right, but, right. Um, I, I could have rode the back roads, but the gravel is hard to ride on. And my heart couldn't take it. So I rode on the highway. And these guys are going to work, and they're truck drivers and trying to make their deadlines. And they're trying to be very careful and respectful. But it was very hard. So was, I was traumatized. At the end of my bicycle ride, I needed to beg for help to go home because I couldn't make it back. Okay, oh, nine David. miles. David, I really appreciate that call. It's uh, David LaPointe up in Spooner, Wisconsin. And um, interesting, he mentions being on a on a tricycle uh, for an older person. And um, I want to ask uh, Vanessa again. Vanessa, what are the options? Uh, David mentions uh, the tricycle or other types of ways that that maybe older folks or elders or, or maybe somebody that might be partially disabled can still get out there and enjoy the the cycling experience. Yeah. So you know, if you're a parent with a child, you could get a bike trailer. There's also like these extensions where a child could sit on like a bike that has pedals. Um, if you need, you know, if you're disabled, there are adaptive bikes. There's also something called a recumbent bike that you're basically sitting and you're pedaling. Uh, but yeah, there's there's everything that could help anyone who, um, you know, has a disability, has children, who's older. And there's many sorts of bicycles. So I know that it's we're kind of getting into this time where we're being more conscious of being accessible. So I commend the cycling industry for uh, keeping that in mind and you know being conscious of our own able 
bodies are ableist uh, tendencies. So, um, yes, applauding everyone who makes cycling more accessible. All right. We've got uh, another caller listening online in East Tennessee. Donna, hello. Hello. How are you? Doing well, um, Donna. I'm I'm glad to hear this conversation. I was looking forward. I was listening to Music Line earlier today and, and heard this coming up. Um, I'm a cycling instructor. Um, I uh, learned from the League of American Bicyclists um, cycling uh, education for uh, for uh, for managing yourself in traffic. I was listening to Vanessa talking about how she, you know, it varies from place to place, but. The League of American Bicyclists offers cycling education programs, especially for people that are looking at this as uh, not just to improve their skills, but building their confidence um, in, in getting on the road because it is dangerous out there. And understanding the laws as they pertain to cyclists and how you conduct yourself in traffic as a cyclist, um, Vanessa said, you know, you really need to be clear that you're you know, signaling uh, that you're going that direction and that you know how to handle your bike when you're in uh, a touchy situation. Um, I, I, we learn how to dodge vehicles turning in front of us and um, how to just understand the rules of the road and how that you're a part of the transportation process when you're on a cycle. Mm-hmm. Don, I want to ask you, since you're a cycling instructor, uh, helmets, are, are they pretty much uh, the law in most cities uh, across the country now? Um, it's actually, you would look at the state laws. Most state laws require, um, I'm, I'm in Tennessee, uh, our state laws unfortunately only require helmets up to the age of 16. I mean, a lot of state laws do that, um, but there are, it's important to wear a helmet. It's certainly uh um, and other safety equipment. I wear gloves when I tra- when I cycle, you know, because it's just simple little fall that I might scrape a hand or protect myself, uh, keeping from hurting myself worse. Um, uh, wearing, uh, as I mentioned, it be visible. I, you know, wear bright clothes, wear reflective clothes, especially if you're cycling at night. Um, but uh, bringing up uh, also cycling at night, many states, in the state of Tennessee, and many other states require lights at night. Um, our, our state requires a light on the front of the bike that's white and can uh, uh, focus, can focus out 500 feet um, oh. and requires lighting on the back of the bicycle so that you can be seen from the back. But, you know, but you can't, like as Vanessa again pointed out, you know, it's not just cyclists, it's also motorcycle, motorcyclists. You need to be bright. They can't see, a, people can't see that small right. object. Right, right. Uh, okay. Moving down the side of the road. Well, Donna, um, thank you for, for calling in. Appreciate all those tips and, and suggestions as well. And uh, we do have to wrap up the show here in just a couple of minutes, but I want to go back to Layla Morita with uh, the Story Rider Cycling Program in Albuquerque. And Layla, you know, we've been talking about some of the expenses uh, of, of biking and, and the cost of equipment and, and the bikes themselves. And the program uh, Story Riders, are you able to uh, assist the, the young people that participate with, with costs associated with their bikes? Um, yes. So we do host, um, so we do everything by donations. So people from the community donate their old bikes. And then us as mechanics, we fix them up and make them rideable for the youth. Um, and then we also teach them how to fix their flats and do different basic maintenance things so that they don't have to take it into a bike shop to make that expense. 
um, as well as um, we host open mechanics hours and different things like that while also providing uh, helmets and safety vests. And where can our listeners go to learn more about Story Riders? Um, you can go to our website, which is, uh, you can go to our main website, which is centerforsouthwestculture.org, and then there's a click down button for Story Riders, or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. All right. Your Story Riders and okay. Think. All right. Awesome. And, and Adrian uh, Resduro, where can listeners learn more? <clears throat> yeah, so they can follow us on social media at R-E-Z-D-U-R-O or also check out our website, www.resduro.com. And for Vanessa Bowen, Vanessa, do you have any uh, favorite websites or any just magazines or anything where people can go to learn more about cycling? Yeah, I highly recommend Native Women Ride, uh, led by Karina Lopez, and also Cyclista Zine. So highly recommend those two. All righty. Lots of good information on our show today dedicated to cycling, riding bikes. Uh, we've had a lot of callers today as well as four guests, and I want to thank everybody who helped to make this show such a success. And remember, if you are going to go out for a ride today, make sure you put that helmet on and make sure you uh, pay attention to the rules of the road, and we wish you well on all of your cycling journeys from here on out. Folks, we are going to have to wrap up now. I'd like to thank our four guests, Vanessa Bowen, Lawanda Stans and Looks Back, Adrian Herter, and Layla Morita for sharing their knowledge and passion for bicycles. And anybody who didn't, uh, didn't have a chance to call in today or maybe you weren't able to get your call because we had so many callers, please remember the conversation continues online. So check us out on our Facebook, our Instagram, Twitter. We can keep this conversation going about natives and cycling. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow as we explore indigenous perspectives on this weekend's Super Bowl. I'm Sean Spruce. As people seek to know diverse cultures, tribal museums and cultural centers grow more popular. So the Institute of American Indian Arts, who support this show, now provides a Master of Fine Arts in Cultural Administration. Focused on social equity and support of cultural community growth, this program combines administrative tools and techniques with socially engaged leadership, blending institutional skills and community outreach programming. Deadline to apply is February 15 at iaia.edu slash mfaca. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.